2: Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids.
3: And I'm Amari Sacco for the second, Pistons beat writer for Detroit Free Press.
2: Did we not have anything else this week? I, I feel like every week we go back and forth on Twitter about something you're gonna, maybe it was something I was gonna add to mine this week. I, sometimes I forget what, what the discourse and everything was um, between me and you and our intros on the podcast.
3: Yeah, there was something I was going to add, but I can't remember what it was. I didn't write it down, so I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, Maybe next week it'll come to mind or somebody will remind me on Twitter. I'll I'll, I'll flesh it out. But I sat here, and while you were doing your intro, I was thinking, there's something I'm supposed to add to mine, but I can't remember what it is. I'm just not going to do it.
2: I know, this what I was like, I know, I know. I'm very, very frustrated that I don't remember because I do think it was pretty cool. So I don't remember what it was. Um, with that said, of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, the man behind the scenes. Guys, I can't emphasize this enough. We can't emphasize this enough. What Wes does for us as we have all these other things going on, he literally writes the outlines for us. He takes con- full control of it. He crushes it. And you will hear his beautiful voice later in the episode as we are bringing back everybody's favorite game sheet or sham and i know that's going to be a lot of fun but omari we have another incredible rating and review this is going to take me a little bit to get through but this is from riot film my absolute favorite basketball pod Admittedly, I've become a consumer and fan of most of the Detroit Piston related podcasts. This one has definitely become my absolute favorite Detroit basketball pod hosted by Omari and Bryce whose chemistry is absolutely phenomenal. And it really adds to the overall enjoyment of the show. They both have great knowledge and insight into the game of basketball, which allows them to break down players and teams in a way that is both entertaining and informative. It's clear they have a passion for the basketball and journalism and the Pistons, and it really shows in their conversations. Bryce's basketball IQ and his ability to break down players in the game is second to none. His insights and knowledge of the game are both entertaining and informative. Bryce's player breakdown videos are a must-watch also. Above all, I love that the general tone of the podcast is upbeat and objective, and not necessarily focused on the negative. I could only imagine how hard it must have been this season to deliver content for this show without a defeated or melodramatic attitude that many have taken off. So thank you for keeping up objective and hopeful. Though battered and bruised, my Stones fandom is alive and well, definitely detecting a quote-unquote pulse still. If you're a Pistons fan or a fan of basketball in general, then you won't want to miss this podcast. Highly recommended, Ryan DeSilva. Silva. Whew. I know that was a lot, Omari. It took me a little bit to get through it. But, but, like, those are the best ones, man. We have the best listeners. We have the best fan base. It's not even close. I don't know if we're the most listened to podcast, but our listeners are the most loyal, the most insightful, the most thoughtful when leaving us ratings and reviews. I
3: mean, we've had a few reviews that were just really long and and, and detailed, and it always surprises me to see that because... You know, like, I like, I like podcasts. I like, I like content. I'm not necessarily waking up and writing, you know, two or three paragraphs about my favorite stuff. Maybe I should be doing that. People do it for us and, you know, definitely makes us feel good. So, um, I mean, again, if you enjoy the show, you haven't weighed in for free to leave us feedback, good or bad, hopefully good. But, you know, we always love to hear what uh, people think, what people say. And we just crossed a year of of doing this too. So, uh, you know, momentum strong, we're gonna keep it going. And just thank you everybody for the support.
2: I just like to read those Amari, because I want our listeners to know how much it really does mean to us. Like I want you guys to know when you guys leave us a review, I screenshot it. I send it to Wes. I send it to Amari, and me and Amari literally talk about it. We we send a text message thread back and forth and discuss how much it means to us. And I think one of the coolest things Amari is when people mention our chemistry, how much we've got to know each other, how well we work together. Wes is the same way. And I think you be like, we really work at this. This matters to us. But on top, we've become good friends, like in real life. We talk about real life things, which I've you know, discussed on the pod before. But that always hits me too whenever they mention the chemistry you and I have and how that adds to the podcast.
3: Yeah, because that's a tough thing to judge, right? Like, you know, like, obviously we become great, great friends and, you know, I feel like our chemistry is good, but I guess you never know how things are being perceived from the outside. So the fact that that's always been um, a point of positive feedback for us definitely makes us feel good. And, um, you know, it makes me want to go deeper as well. Maybe at some point this offseason we'll just do a completely non-basketball pod just to see yes. how it goes, right, uh, going to some different directions. Uh, so, again, thank everybody so much for the support. Uh, we're going to dive into today's episode and lead off with Jaden Ivey, uh, who just came off a really strong month of February, uh, March. Uh, hasn't quite been what he was doing in, in, in February. But, um, you know, first thing we are going to lead off with, um, you know, sort of the biggest event of the week, which was the ending of that Bulls game. And you know, like we know it, it was a mistake. We know that you know he's a Ricky, yada, yada. you know, you still don't see those types of situations very often. I've been doing this about five years. That was my first time I've seen that uh, you know like at, at, at least live um you know, I guess Bryce, what was your reaction? To why much from home when you see something like that happen?
2: So my first thought was Chris Webber, right? And I almost mm-hmm. sent off a tweet and I was like, nope, I'm not doing it, I'm not gonna do that. And here's, Amari, did you realize the Chris Webber timeout was almost 30 years ago?
3: No, it was it was the year before I was born, I'm pretty sure. Like I was born in 94, I think that was in 93, so that's just something I've always heard. I mean, being a point of race, Detroit I always heard about the lore of it, but uh, was that actually alive for it. So, you know, to see that kind of come back to the forefront last week was definitely crazy.
2: Yeah, the thing that's always missed in that play, too, is he traveled at the beginning of the play. He had already turned the ball over at the beginning of the play, yeah. right before it started, before he dribbled down and called the timeout. My thought on the Jaden Ivy here, here was my biggest takeaway was you that can't happen, right? Like that can't happen. And also just kind of knowing where a lot of the blame goes. My first thought was I would almost guarantee it was repeated multiple times that they didn't have any timeouts by the coaching staff. I will just tell you this, as a high school coach, in those situations, we repeat it over and over and over. And as an assistant coach, that was definitely my job. Not only would I tell my guys how many timeouts we had left, I would tell him what the jump ball situation was. Now, that doesn't matter as much in the NBA, but if you know where the possession arrow is, if you have the possession arrow, a jump ball is okay. Like maybe your guys are less likely to take a risky pass and they just allow the jump ball to happen knowing that you'll keep control. So I have very little doubt that it was communicated to him that they didn't have any timeouts. And here's the other thing, Omari. I did tweet this out. The fan base saying that he was set up for failure is something I extremely disagree with. I'm not going to say like, I I was going to get into
3: that too. I'll let you cook first but I was going to get into that.
2: I just disagree with that so much. If you don't think he can handle a simple sideline out of bounds decision, then how do you think this guy can run an offense, orchestrate a pick and roll or anything else that will be asked of him? So that is something that I just did not understand. Now, that's a different argument, Omari, from should Killian Hayes have been in the game? Should Alec Burks have been? Like, that's a separate conversation. Just simply saying that he was set up for failure by being asked to inbound a sideline out of bounds play... I just can't get behind that.
3: I agree. So to your first point, I would say it's also on the inbounder, just just, like, even if it wasn't brought up, like how how many timeouts you have, like you're the inbounder. You should still probably know that, right? Like that's part of the job of inbounding is to know what your options are. And if he didn't know that, then there's still some personal accountability there as well. Like maybe it wasn't mentioned, but, in most, you know, we don't see that happen very often. So, generally, players are able to figure that out. Uh, but to your second point, it definitely caught me off guard, and I was going to go back and forth I decided, you know, and I need to stop going back and forth with people because it's it's it just it, you know it doesn't go anywhere. I waste amount of time. But uh, there are people saying, um, like not only what you brought up, but that uh, you know they lost because uh, Dwayne Casey left Corey Joseph in the game and this and that. And it was just like, like, it's okay for there to be some personal accountability for the players. Uh, you know, like when Jaden Ivey makes that blatant of a mistake and like there are people in my mentions on uh, unironically arguing that uh, it was a rotation mistake because Corey Joseph played, I think the entire fourth quarter and this and that. And it's like, well, they were down, I think 27 to 28 and he was on the floor during that entire comeback for the most part. So I don't necessarily see how him being on the floor was a problem when they got from you know, down 27 to 28 to two. So it was just a pretty simple inbounds play that had to be executed. And like, I agree. It's just, you know, like sometimes there's a situations where it was very clearly on the player. and We still somehow excuse the player and bring it back to Dwayne Casey making a mistake. And it's like, it, no, like, you know, it's just the player's job to go out there and inbounds the ball. Like, it's just some stuff that, you know, I don't necessarily see as like a coaching problem where, People were saying, "Why didn't the veterans make sure he knew what he was doing?" And it's like, "Well, he's not a help. like Jalen not to help his child." You know, like sometimes we cut, we tend to coddle the players and talk about them as though, you know, if you don't literally hold hold their hand and walk them through everything, that they're not gonna be able to do it. And it's like, eh, you know, the the NBA, you know, they're all grown men. You got to be able to sink or, or swim. Ultimately, it's just situations like that where it just kind of catches me off guard when there's like a reluctance to just say, hey, the player messed up. Well,
2: and why do we have to coddle him in the situation in general? He messed up. He made a huge mistake. He's going to grow and get better from it. Mm-hmm. So like this is part of growth and development. Like it's okay to fail. We all love to talk about these cliches and live behind these things of, you know, failure breeds, you know, improvement and all of these things. And then as fans, we see a young rookie fail and all of a sudden, oh, they should have incubated him. They should have coddled him. They should have made sure he wasn't in a situation to fail. Well, how is he ever going to grow? So uh, like all around it, how do we know the sideline out of bounds play wasn't for him, Amari? How do we know that the sideline out of bounds play wasn't designed to get the ball back in his hands, him inbound, run right off the screen, whatever. I'm not saying it is. We don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I thought that was crazy that that he was set up for failure. That was my only thing. Again, if you want to say Killian should have been in the game because he's the best passer, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that to say that Jaden's not capable of doing it, I just can't agree with that. And to your point, they had found a flow and rhythm, right? This is a hard thing to do as a coach. They had found a flow with that unit. And do I think he should have subbed? I do, Amari. But I also know as a coach, sometimes those decisions are hard and you're like, man, this five has brought us back. I'm going to roll with them. We feel like we they've earned the right to do that. And that's
3: what Dwayne tends to do. If there's a unit that's rolling, he just lets them cook. He doesn't. He's not going to tinker with something that's working. Yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it, it, it doesn't. But I think in situations like that, you're not necessarily judged by the game management but the result, right? So you can let a unit cook and they bring you all the way back until like 10 seconds left and then you lose and it's like, oh, well, he made a mistake. It's like, yeah, well, you know, he could have made a 70s look at a loss, you know, like we don't know that for a fact, but they got all the way back. So clearly something was working. So, um, you know, and I also want to say along with all of that, that, you know, we did talk to Jaden after the game that, uh, you know, like one, just kudos to him for, you know, sitting down and talking to the media in the locker room. Like sometimes guys will hide in in, in the back not come out with the media out in that scenario. And he came out. I and, love
2: that. That's a That's know. a. am glad you were able to bring that up. That's awesome to hear.
3: Yeah, you know, and he did. And, you know, uh, you know, like I I asked him a question, like we, we talked to him and, you know, he owned up to it. Like, no, he obviously he wasn't happy. And, you know, it was a pretty quick uh, availability. Probably talked to him for like three or four minutes. But uh, still, like he answered the questions. He took full accountability. He said, I should have known. You know, he said, I lost this game, this and that. And Bogey and Dwayne Casey after the game were, you know, saying like the game was a loss from that play, you know, like protecting him, obviously. You know, Bogey said, we as best coach, we have to make sure he knows what to do in that scenario. Uh, but Jaden was like, no, like, I messed up. Like, it was my fault. Um, you know, I can't do that. I need to know better. Uh, yada, yada. And he came in and he owned up to it. And, you know, I think that's just the kind of person he is. Like, he talked after losses this season and, you know, just said we have to be better as a unit. And I think he's the type of guy that kind of wears his heart and his emotions on his sleeve, too. Uh, which, you know, you kind of see in that moment, right? Like he clearly took that, uh, you know, fake timeout really, really hard. You know, you discovered his face as he walked off the court, this and that know, it's really a massive deal for him. And, you know, it's also credit to him, or I guess not really credit to anybody because it reflects how bad the Pistons are, but, you know, that's not a Chris Webber situation quite because, you know, Chris Webber is in like, you know, the biggest game in his life. And this is like a random, you know, February or March game with the Pistons are 15 wins. So uh, nobody will be thinking about this, you know, by the end of the season. Honestly, there's probably people who forgot already and listen to this episode on Tuesday <laughs> and be like, oh, well, I forgot about this and I'm thinking about it again. Uh, but hey, we gonna be court once a week if we have to dive into it, and we're going to talk about some of the growth that Jaden Ivey's had. Yeah, let's get to the positive the stuff. I, did, yeah.
2: I don't think we meant to get off on that that yeah. <laughs> much. I do want to say real quick, I do think that speaks to the culture a little bit. Everybody talks about why is Dwayne Casey still here, this and that, and I, I, I realize it's a 15-win team, Amari, I know, but could you imagine if that happened with Jalen Green and the Rockets? Like, I don't mean to crush another team, but what do you think guys on that team would have said what the storylines would have been? I love that in this situation, one, Jay Nivey takes responsibility. I love Boyan Bogdanovich and how he handled it, how Coach Casey handled it. To me, that is proof of that there is a certain culture that has been built. And I do like that because I think there's some other teams that would have been like insane coverage. It, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been positive at all. And I just wanted to bring that up real quick, but you're right. We need to talk about how well he's been playing. Cause that's what this was. This what this segment was supposed to be about.
3: So Jaden, uh, February was his best month. Uh, probably that he's played uh, yet. And I have his numbers up now. Uh, he averaged, uh, 16.4 points, he shot 44.5% overall, um, obviously, which is great. Uh, 42% for three, 41.9% uh, technically. Uh, 5.8 assists against 2.6 turnovers. So, you know, he's uh, he's dishing, you know, about two assists for every turnover, uh, which is fantastic. Actually, a little bit be- better than that, uh, which is great. And, you know, I think we've just kind of seen, uh, really since the beginning of January, Uh, that he's kind of turned the quarter as far as being more of a lead guard and lead playmaker rather than just this really athletic and quick uh, sort of off-ball guy uh, that you kind of just want to regulate into making more simple decisions. Like, I think he's really grown up a lot as a primary playmaker. And I would say he's probably done more in this last month to convince me that he can. Mike McKay is on the bench next season, that you can just leave Ivy in at the one and put him with Burks or, like, let's say they draft a wing, you have him at the two or whoever, that that could work, that could work. Like I'm fully buying into him as a primary guy. And while he's probably not ever going to be like, you know, like a, the best passer in the NBA, I think he'll be good enough. Like maybe Derek Rose level, or just good enough to where you know that he can do it and create plays and be really, really good out there.
2: Yeah, man, I'm with you. And I thought I was high on Jaden Ivey and I thought I was high on Jaden Ivey's passing. But he's exceeded my expectations, and we've talked about this. The only place he hasn't been what I was hoping for was on the defensive end. And and I will say, the effort level and he's he's flashed and put some possessions together since the All Star break. Where even it's like at least there's some growth now, man. At least we're seeing him a possession here and there where it's like, okay, Jaden, we can work with this and we can grow from this. Offensively, Omari, it's it's not even close. He is he has exceeded what I felt like were high expectations. I know some people would disagree because of what the episode where we predicted what his stat line would be. He's been incredible. 42% from three during the entire month is insane for a guy who everybody said can't shoot. The mid-range has been far beyond what I ever could imagine. I I will tell you this. There's a lot of people who I really respect, who I really like, who have been hard on Jaden Ivy, and even they are giving him his flowers right now for how he's playing. And I think the best thing is he has shown that ability to control his pace and change direction, change speed, play with some nuance in the ball screens. I'm with you. I didn't know if he was ever like, hey, we got to stagger because he needs to just completely run the show. But that's where he's at right now, right? Like, if we go into next season and it's not Scoot and you have Cade and Ivy. I think you play Ivy for six minutes next to Cade and then you take Ivy out and then he's essentially the second unit point guard.
3: No, absolutely. Like you could stagger them, I think for 48 minutes and get above average playmaking uh, the entire time down. And two very different types of playmaking, mind you, right? Like Cade, does not have Bobby's athleticism, so he's going to, you know, probe and prod a lot more. Whereas, obviously, he's going to make a quick decision to get downhill and even dump the ball off for his body in the corner. Uh, which, you know, I really like the two passes he probably makes the most. Like you see when he's in there with an athletic big man, uh, Durin Wiseman. Uh, he just naturally gels with those types of players a lot more than he does with a guy like Isaiah Stewart, where it's going to be more pick and pop. Like there's like an awkwardness between them that you don't see with Duran. And Wiseman, which I think bodes well. It's like, okay, so you just have two of your best athletes the at all times and they play well with each other. Like, that's a pretty good situation, right? Uh, but I also want to just shout out his shooting uh, because he was sort of advertised and he really is like this downhill player and the numbers reflect that. But he attacks, he is more comfortable attacking the game as a shooter than I expected. If the defense is going under, he has no qualms at all, just like taking threes and like those pull-up twos. Uh, and you don't necessarily see that from uh super athletic guards as much like we don't see john morant take those jumpers as much uh but we do see westbrook take those pull-ups a lot and I like long term maybe you hope ivy's a little bit better at it than westbrook's been but i will say this in the month of february uh among our rookies jaden ivy was third in attempts with 4.8 only malachi branham and keegan murray were ahead of him uh percentage-wise uh, On
2: three this, point, this is just three pointers this is just three pointers oh wow nice.
3: three-pointed tips among all rookies and his percentage uh if you talk about guys who are taking more than four or at least four the only guy who shot the uh three better in that span was your guy Abaji, uh who knocked down 44 but he shot the ball better than branham he shot the ball better than keegan uh he shot the ball better than jabari smith who of course has struggled this season uh, but also like a guy like Benedict Matherin, you know, whose three point percentage is just kind of falling off of the cliff. He's shooting 31. Uh, you know, we're at the point where Ivy, like, he's just holding his own amongst the best shooters in his draft class. Like Keegan Murray, Abaji, like these are guys that we knew could shoot the ball. We didn't know Ivy could. And last month, and I, I have to look at his numbers all the way from New Year's as well. But he's been up there with the best shooters of his class.
2: And I think what that does is it allows him to be more effective in every play type, Amari. Because one thing I was worried about is people would just go under the ball screen on him and just force him to take that shot. Well, if he can step behind and and make it, okay, well, now you got to go over the top. And then I was worried they'll just play deep drop coverage on him with the big force him to take the mid range jumper. Well, now he's shown an ability to stop and pop and, and make that mid range shot. So now you have to guard him at all three levels because he's able to make shots with some sort of effectiveness. And it also makes him effective off the ball. If he's running off a staggered screen, you can't just cheat it. And I'll uh, say, okay, well you can catch and shoot the three. If you got to trail him, well, then he's going to curl it, get downhill, and good luck. I, I never thought I would be saying this, Amari, that I think the biggest area of improvement for him offensively is actually finishing at the rim. He's getting there, but he just missed so many of those easy ones. And at the end of the day, though, I would rather that be what we're talking about right now than, man, the three-point shooting's at 25% or he's only taking one mid-range jumper a game. I think the area that I think he could improve in the easiest is finishing at the rim. And so I'm cool with what we've seen so far. Like I said, I'm I'm ecstatic. And I think
3: some of the finishing, uh, it it may be a touch issue, but I think some of that's just like his ball handling as well where he doesn't necessarily gather himself properly. He takes off too early or too late or he's just – I uh, just think there's a comfort level with how fast he gets downhill that he does not have yet. And I think in all seasons of work, just handling the bar, right? Like just do some Kyrie Irving drills, uh, just do something just to get, um, you know, just work comfortable with that. And I think we could, I think he just needs himself up too much from a lot of those drives. Like even uh, the first play last night, uh, the Pistons, right after the opening tip, uh, you know, Ivy gets downhill, he gets the ball, and he tries to beat the Cavs up. Uh, you know, the court. And I think that for shot attempt was is like four or five seconds into the game, but Ivy missed the layup at the rim. And we see that happen, not every game, but maybe every other game where he's got a layup that he just got a hit that he just doesn't. So uh, that is sort of the irony in that, like, you know, he's become so comfortable as a shooter that the downhill aspect actually hasn't been as strong as maybe we expected. Like he's getting down there. His percentage after the rim is still solid, but, uh, there's definitely another tier he could get to. And that's actually my biggest growth area for him as well. Like you can knock down shots. Now you have to punish things when they are going over those screens, right? And actually be the downhill force that we know you could be. And that's we showed at Purdue.
2: So you mentioned some of these guys before we move on to James Wiseman and RJ Hampton, some of the other guys on the Pistons, let's talk about Jay Nive in the context of rookie of the year and even all rookie first team. So you have Paolo, you have Walker Kessler in Utah, who's had a great season. The Jalen Williams, the one, I don't know what his nickname is. There's two Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And they, they have different nicknames, but the Santa Clara Jalen Williams is how I think about him. The more perimeter Oriented Jalen Williams, you have Keegan Murray who's had a really good year and then Benedict Matherin So there's six guys and there's only five spots on our rookie team And obviously there's only one I guess there could be co-rookies of the year, but really one rookie of the year So where do you think Jaden Ivey is filling into those because I've legit heard people who are high on him But still have him six. So essentially people saying hey, he would be our second team all rookie let alone even in the Rookie of the Year conversation.
3: I have his numbers since the beginning of January, and uh, I'll just read these off just to sort of paint how good he's been relative to the rest of his class, right? So he's third in scoring, 15.7 points. Uh, ben Maff and Paolo are higher than him. Uh, this is all since New Year's. Uh, Jaden's efficiency is actually higher than a lot of his, his classmates, right? So he's at 43%. Uh, ben Mass at 44 Paolo's at 40 since New Year's. And also Jaden Avi shot the three-ball... If you're like to my point earlier, since New Year's, Jaden Ivey is shooting 36.8% on 4.3 attempts. Uh, Keegan Murray's been my style. He's like, I was 45% on like six attempts. So he's been in his own category. But Ivey is, you know, comparing volume and accuracy, he's shooting the ball better than Jabari Smith, he's shooting the ball better than Apollo. Uh Branham, Johnny Juzang, AJ Green. Well, okay. A- AJ Green shooting uh, the oh, higher.
2: I mean, AJ Green, that's what he does, though. Like his yeah. only role is to come in and, and knock down three pointers. And that's
3: what he does. But Ivy has held his own he's even got Ricky's and assists, I think, on the season period, not since not just since New Year's. Like he's just been all around good. I think what is going to end up happening with Ivy is sort of what we got into with Kay last year, where you have rookies who are playing smaller roles for better teams. And because their plus minus is like a minus two instead of a minus eight or nine or whatever Ivy's is. Cause he plays for 15 to a team. Uh, I think a lot of those guys are going to end up being in better shape when it comes to those awards. Like Paulo, like Ivy had a better February than Paulo and that's, I think that's pretty ob- objective, right? Like, that's not just me being a guy who watches the Pistons and doesn't watch Orlando as much. You look at their numbers. Jaden Ivey basically did everything at a higher level. Uh, you know, scoring-wise, efficiency-wise, he shot better. Uh, he's already a better playmaker than Vancaro is, but he did not get Ricky at a month. Carroll got Ricky at a month for the East, and Orlando was a better team than the Pistons in that stretch. And we're already seeing that happen, right? Like, kind of with Scotty Barnes and Evan Belby and Cave last year. Uh, where I think you can just make an argument on his face that those guys maybe deserve those accolades as well. But, you know, you're just seeing, you know, these players get penalized for playing for bad teams, which personally, that's not my metric for how I buy rookies. I think that's kind of silly, but I think we're just starting to see that already. And we're going to see, like Walker Kester. he's a shoe-in for the first team. i was just saying that right now. Ben Kueh's yep, a shoe for the first team. And it's, you know, and they deserve that. I'm not saying that they don't. You know, like Walker Kester has probably been the second-best rookie over the course of the entire season after Matt Carroll. But once you get into, like, the Andrew Nimhards, the Jalen Williams, like, these guys who are playing good minutes for good teams, uh, that's probably going to hurt Jalen. And really, it'll probably... D- D- Jabari J- Smith's the guy who hasn't had the good the season he's probably going to get wrecked when it comes to that but I think it's going to hurt Jaden Ivey
2: yeah, I think Paulo's probably still rookie of the year Kessler's been incredible he's been really good I think I, I don't know that he's like a locket number two I'm sure there's arguments you've made some really good arguments and brought up stats where I think you could argue that Jaden Ivey is you know second But I think a lot of people right now feel like it's Paulo, Kessler, and then it's, again, four guys for three spots in Ivy, Ben Math, Murray, and Jalen Williams. And it's just going to be interesting. And it's it's, it's funny how it's very similar to Cade where my argument for Cade in terms of rookie of the year last year was who was being asked to be the face of the franchise like Cade is? Well, same thing. Ben Math is coming off the bench every game. Keegan Murray has been really good. And I saw that sly smile you had there, Wes. I know you're a big Keegan Murray guy whenever Omari was given those numbers. So don't think I missed that. But in fairness, he has De'Aaron Fox having a career year, Damanis Sabonis playing incredible. Like his role is not even close to the same of what Jaden Ivey's being asked. Same with Jalen Williams, who when SGA is playing, SGA has been like a, I don't know, top 15 player in the NBA, maybe even higher, maybe top 10. He's been insane when he's playing. So it it is going to be an interesting debate and probably a lot will come down to how Ivey finishes off the year. But At the end of the day, he's been incredible, very exciting to see how good he's been, especially in the offensive end and then some of the defense that's come around. But we do have to get to a short break here, Omari, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about newly acquired James Wiseman, R.J. Hampton, and some of the other guys around the roster.
0: Just going to run this
3: All right, we're back with segment two, and we're going to dive right into James Wiseman. Uh, and I've read about this on, on, on uh, Friday, actually, for Saturday, uh, that he's had a, a, a bigger role maybe than we would have. We knew he would play, but I think for him to start uh, their last four games, for Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Durant being out, that's the type of thing you can't really predict. And I'll let you leave the segment off. But I guess if you're looking at, the, at what Wiseman's done well so far, Uh, What are some of the things that come to mind immediately for you and just what we've seen over the last two weeks or so?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, he's been what I thought he was after doing some of my dive into film and scout and all of that stuff. And that's a good and bad thing, Omari. It's a good thing in that he's shown the things we thought he could do. He is athletic. He's long. He's seven foot. He's actually been rebounding the ball decently. Two games of his six with the Pistons, he had 10 rebounds. Two games, he's had nine. So, But we've also seen the deficiencies with the rebounding. Offensively, you can see where he can be a bucket. I mean, he had a 23-point game on 11 shots. But... We haven't seen some of the stuff I was hoping to see. That the shot hasn't necessarily looked great. He has taken one three in every game. So he is one of six with the Pistons. He's taken some mid range shots, made a couple, missed a couple. I would like to see him just be used a little bit more on the perimeter. Let's see what his ability to put the ball in the deck is. We've seen, I think, one or two transition like grab and go opportunities. The defense. Again it is what it is. I thought we've seen some good ball screen coverage possessions and then we've seen some and then we've seen some where he struggled and then just the off-ball awareness in general. So, like I say in a sense he has been what I thought and that's a good thing but also a little bit frustrating. The one thing I do like Omari is in Detroit, you're seeing him get the opportunities the Warriors fans didn't feel like he was getting, which is playing through some of these struggles. And and whenever he doesn't play effectively, he's getting to continue to play with Detroit.
3: I would say offensively, like he has been good. Like his post game is good. Like he's got some shooting stroke, and you know, but the efficiency probably hasn't been there that you would want to see. He takes a lot of shots from short mid range, and I think he's taken like five threes so far. As when only made one. That hasn't necessarily been there. And I want to bounce this off of you. Like, the more I watch James Wiseman, I don't necessarily see – I don't necessarily see a center. I see a guy who's, like, kind of like that hybrid 4-5 or five that you see in guys like John Collins or Jared Jackson Jr. Where, like, on paper they have center skills. But just the things that they're deficient in with James Wiseman, like, he can rebound. But, uh, you know, like, he's probably not, like, that Jalen Durant here rebounder and because he does have some shooting stroke. He does kind of strike me offensively as a guy who might be able to play next to a more traditional five, assuming that shot comes around uh, because that is a shot that he kind of hunts out naturally and I think that just kind of positions him better uh, rather than uh, maybe being more of a pulse-oriented guy. I along with that, I would say that they do miss some, some some easy layup opportunities too that he probably should be scoring a ball a bit better than he has been as well.
2: Yeah, man. I keep going back and forth more. I think my biggest frustration right now is I haven't seen those four man skills come to fruition like I was hoping to see. The shot hasn't, I'm still not sure I'd buy the shot. What, how do you feel about the shot? Because like if I had to, so I I did the Twitter poll on who you would trust more to make a shot. I think between Wiseman, Bagley, Durin, and I think I put Homie in there just to have some fun. And the fan base actually said, Wiseman, I think I would go Marvin Bagley the third right now. Where would you be on that? Because, I don't know why I'm struggling to get there with the shot, but I just, I don't feel like I trust it. I don't know why. I think Bagley is a more comfortable looking shooter. Yes. And he's
3: also not efficient as well. Agreed. But I think with Bagley, there's probably a bit more of, and I don't want to say James Wiseman second guesses, but I think there's just more familiarity with, you know, I think Bagley's just more comfortable. He's been here a year, like, you know, like he teammates the yada, yada. And with Wiseman, there's still a lot of, not exactly knowing what this guy can do like from his teammates. So I think that just some of that uncertainty or just like that discomfort reflects in how he shoots where, you know, maybe there's like a, like he takes a lot of shots that are not like, like this pick and pop is for me. It's like, I don't see anything else. So I'm gonna just shoot. Right. And there is a difference in that where, you know, maybe you don't feel as confident in the shots going in when there's that moment of hesitation, like, all right, I guess I'm just going to take this shot, which I think we've seen a lot of, and that will crack yourself down the road Like he just got here. Um, like, players have been out, like, maybe for just from a comfort level. He hasn't had the perfect environment for him to just get going, even though he's also been starting. So there's a, a mix of a lot of things going on right now. But uh, I also say that, I, you know, if we're just going over the entire roster, I don't know if I want either of those guys taking that shot. But I probably wouldn't lean Bagley just because there is more of a certainty with what you get from him.
2: Yeah, so that's where I'm at with it. I... We, we saw the two big lineups. So I'm interested to see what you thought about that on Saturday. I told you before we record, I've watched the game, the whole game. I was at a high school basketball game. Um, my season ended and I went and watched the championship game of the teams that were left because it was here in the town that I live in. And But I had the Pistons game on my phone while I was watching as well. So I was – because I wanted to be able to catch that and make sure I watched the game before we recorded. And so I'd be interested what you thought of the two big lineup. I'm sure the fan base – I wasn't on Twitter. Wes was running Twitter. So if he tweeted anything you didn't like, blame him on the Motor City Hoops account. That was Wes's fault. <laughs> but – I was just curious what you thought of that because the, they, the scoring wasn't great. And so I could imagine that a lot of people were upset with the spacing and that too big lineup, but, but what did you think about it?
3: So I actually thought in the first half, like it was, it was fine and they started together badly and Wiseman and then they had to be staggered. So I don't know exactly how many minutes they played together total, but I would guess it was probably not more than like eight, uh, you know, just because they went to that stagger pretty early with, just no Big Ben death being behind them. But they won the rebounding battle against Cleveland, uh, which was good because I think they got crushed when they played in Cleveland a few weeks ago, uh, right before the the trade deadline. And you know, and that's something that Dwayne Case brought up after the game. Like, if we're going to play two bigs, we need to see more results from that. And also, I'm pretty sure Jalen Duren and Isaiah Stewart were in that game. So, you know, slightly different personnel. Wiseman wasn't around. But uh, Wiseman didn't score the ball extremely well. I think he was only one for six, but he did have eight rebounds just in the first half alone. And, you know, the Pistons, they fell behind eight early and then they went on a run and they got from two. And then Cleveland turned up the gas a little bit more and closed out. But, uh, you know, just the Pistons not getting crushed on the boards, not giving them a lot of second chance opportunities, helped them stay competitive early. And that's what you want to see, right? Like offensively, Bagley and Wiseman do have a lot of overlap. And it kind of forces one or, or both of those guys to space out a bit more, which I think long term, I probably just feel more comfortable with Wiseman doing that than Bagley. Only because. We don't know for a fact that Wiseman can't shoot. At this point, we know that Bagley, like you know, unless he comes back next offseason and is hitting like 35, uh, percent it's only going to be an occasional thing for him. But just on a baseline level, for everything you give up starting them together, I thought it was fine. And this kind of segue us into Wiseman's defense as well. But I think what kind of makes that easier too is that Wiseman can handle different assignments. Like you could put him against a guy like Evan Mobley, who you know is a lot more mobile than a guy like Jared Allen can spread out a little bit. And feel pretty good about it. And I think that Wiseman, as long as he could be more of like that Romer type of big man defender, continue to get better at that, that you could probably plug him in next to whoever and feel pretty good about it, at least on defense.
2: So to your point, they had 22 rebounds and then they combined for seven steals and blocks. They each had a steal and then Bagley had three blocks and Wiseman had two blocks. So five blocks. I mean, here's the other thing is you throw out that lineup and you do it against one of the best Big man lineups in the league. So, you know, it's not like it was just against some random team. It was against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are really good and, you know, who are the prototype for making this work with Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen. So I, I thought it was interesting. I thought defensively in the first half it worked. Wiseman ended up only playing 23 minutes. So that was kind of interesting in general. I think offensively, that's where I really wanted to watch it, Omari, was offensively. And I tried to watch the Cavs as well to see where the Cavs guards were getting their shots. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm not that bothered by them playing, like you said, 8 to 10 to 12 minutes a game together because is it going to hurt the ability for like Ivy and then next year Cade getting to the rim? Yes. But where does Cade really cook? He cooks in the mid range anyway. So those guys being on the floor together doesn't necessarily keep you from getting the 10 to 12 feet where it keeps you from getting is all the way to the rim. Well, Cade can cook in the mid range, even Killian. Where is Killian the best right now? If you had to, you know, put a a, a temp for Killian where he's most successful It's probably in the mid range. It's not getting all the way to the rim. I do know that. And we just talked about earlier where Jaden Ivy has been better in that as well. I'm not saying you want 48 minutes of that kind of spacing, but watching the Cavs guards, I felt like Garland and Mitchell in half court setting had to settle for a lot of pull up jumpers, whether threes or mid range, whatever it was. And those guys were just better at it right now than Killian and Ivy were, but I, I don't think it's like, just so detrimental if those are the shots you have to settle for because you have two bigs on the floor. And I'll,
3: I'll bring up that K, uh, when he had that hot streak before he got hurt, like, he was automatic for mid-range. Like, he he could not hit a three for some reason, but, like, he was shooting, like, 80% from mid-range. And, um, you know, and that's his game. Like, we saw that last year, too, that he is a guy that can just kind of find those pockets and stuff into them. And Russell also and Killian and Ivy do that a lot this season as well. So it could work. Like, Bradley, I do think the Cavs are a pretty good model for what the Pistons could be next season. You have two starting bigs. I think Durant can do a lot of the same stuff. Sarah Allen can do. I think that, you know, either Wiseman or Isaiah Stewart can give you some approximation of what you get from Bobley. Maybe not from a passing standpoint, but at least from a, uh, like, spacing the floor a little bit more, kind of roaming, uh, not meaning to paint as much, but you can if you need to, or, you know, just handle different assignments. And then you have Donovan Mitchell, who is a guy that, like if Jaden Ivey becomes everything he can become, like I think the Mitchell is a pretty good comparison for that type of player. And then you have Darius Garland, who is just a really like good shooter, like crafty guard, kind of like Cade. And you just kind of see the outline like how that could work, right? And the Cavs are a pretty good team this year. So as long as those guys can shoot, like it can work. Um, and it's mostly just about the, the positional versatility you get from all of that as well. So... Like, I like that a lot. Like, I'm talking about this, and it, it just sucks, again, A case that, you know, playing the season because there's just so much stuff we could have figured out that we got to wait till the next season. But uh, just being able to knock down those shots really is key in that scenario.
2: Yeah, so I think that's a big thing. Whenever it's Bagley and Wiseman together, there's just not a whole lot of passing between those two and so I think that's why there's a better chance that Wiseman and Duren work because of how much I believe in Duran's passing and so and I do want to say I feel like Marvin Bagley the third has been playing really well Amari I don't know what you feel, and I even had people like blowing up my phone non-Pistons fans that I've just like come to get to know and to, they're like man ba- Bagley looks good even some Warriors fans who I've got to know who were probably watching for Wiseman but Bagley actually popped off the screen to him as they were watching that game I think he's looked good since his return from injury looks like he's athletic and moving well and so but I do think passing is important and then again always the shooting can Wiseman here's my thing can Wiseman at least play in the corner catch knock down the occasional corner three or catch attack a closeout or learn how to cut because here's the thing Omari we don't talk about this Hami's playing at the four all the time it's essentially the same thing Hami's a six foot five version of these guys he he can't shoot He hasn't made a three in how long? So it's the same idea. It's just you're getting a 7-foot or 6'10 version of Hami instead. So I I do think it it does cause some issues in terms of getting all the way to the rim. The pick and roll stuff is a little bit different because you can't run pick and roll and throw a lob if you have a guy in the dunker spot also, like the spacing on that. So I don't think you can play it for 48 minutes, but I want to see more of it. Like I walked away like I want to see more of it to really dive into the film and see how it works.
3: I didn't see it. you mentioned Marvin Bagley playing well. I just want to shout about real quick. Uh, in his four games since he came back, seventeen point five points, thirteen rebounds, one point three blocks, uh, shooting fifty five point eight percent overall. So he's been like I think sort of the ideal version of like what you could basically get from Marvin Bagley since he came out. Like after that first game, uh, he returned for and you know Dwayne said. Uh, we need this Marvin every night, right, where he had 21 points, 18 rebounds. Well, he had 20 and 13 last night, 21 and 12 the game after that. Uh, even that game against Chicago, and, like, he only had eight points and nine rebounds of that. But, you know, still, like, for 18 minutes, that's pretty good. And he only took five shots in that game as well. Uh, so he's he, he's been good, and we're getting kind of off off topic from, uh, you know, Wiseman, but I did want to shout out Marvin Bagley as well. So let's just really quickly talk about RJ Hampton uh, <laughs> because he, uh, like, you did, you, <laughs> you did. not watch last night's game. So uh, well, had, I
2: watched it, but okay, okay, like yeah. I, I, I say it wasn't as like in depth of, as what I normally would. You know where I'm taking notes. Like I, I, was I was distracted. So and Wes was sending me notes, but yeah, it was his best game, I guess.
3: Yeah, like he he, he did some stuff that was good. Like he knocked out a three. He had some he had some good plays, which you know like was good to see. Uh, he like he also had that that pretty bad stretch uh, where he he inbounded the ball after he got the inbounds pass. And like, that was a really bad like turnover. He did hit a three on the next possession to kind of make up for it. But then he's on like one corner and he tries to attempt a quarter to quarter pass delivers that just came well short. And pretty, I pretty, th- I think even Mitchell or Garland got a bucket on the other end from that. And you know, like, it's, it's tough. Cause like we've seen RJ Hampton for, you know, I think, I think four games now, but I don't know if we've really seen what he could do. Uh, you know he hasn't recorded a lot of assists. Like I think he only has two assists with the Pistons. Um, like he started the ball over. Like he had he had four turnovers last night. Like I'm I'm not like I want to hear what your thoughts are on him because I just don't know if I've seen a lot from him just in the week or week and a half he's been here so far.
2: Yeah, I tweeted out the other day, Amari. I don't even notice him on the court, and 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 that's actually in a bad way. Like I just and when I do notice him, it's like. What, what is he doing? Why why is he doing that? Or why isn't he doing this? I, it hasn't been impressive. Now, to your point, he's joining the team as a buyout guy. The contract for next year is non-guaranteed. So there's no promises whatsoever. He's on the team next year. I, it was worth it, right? This is exactly what Troy Weaver should be doing. And so, like, he should be re- recycling the roster. Any chance he gets, open roster spot, do those things. But I just... I haven't seen it or seen even some flashes where I'm like, okay, they can work with that. If we, if we could get some more consistency with that, I like it. Like right now, my opinion would be you don't guarantee that contract and you let him walk in free agency and you go find a better replacement. That's where I'm at right now. Now there's still what, 15, 16, you know, 20, what is there, 20 games left, something like that, a month of basketball? Yeah, it's like, it's like
3: eight, 18 games left or so around that. Yeah.
2: So, like, there's still time. And, again, he's only four or five games into it. That's a really good point. And it does take some time to acclimate yourself to a team and to a roster and all those things. I just, right now, it's just been pretty meh for, for me with RJ Hampton.
3: Yeah, like, I think that's probably the best way to put it. It's just been pretty meh. And, you know, for a player who's, like, as athletic as he is and kind of came into the league with... He was a little bit of a mystery box, right? Like we could develop him, and there's probably different outcomes for the type of player he can become. But he's got a really good base skill set to work with. I just think in the last week or week and a half or so, you want to see some sort of uh, like what is his NBA skill? And we just have we just haven't seen that yet. He has not shot the ball particularly well. He did have 11 points against Cleveland, uh, you know, in a game that was pretty much a, a blowout, uh, at, like before the half way mark. And I just haven't necessarily seen what is his skill that's going to keep him, not just with the Pistons, but, uh, you know, just on an NBA team at some point. And that's kind of what he needs to, to show, right? Like, what is he going to do that allows us to play him with Killian or allows us to play him with Jayden? Like, what is he bring us a complementary skill? And we just haven't seen that.
2: Yeah, because even someone like Homie's a good point of that, Amari. Like the skill set isn't great, but he brings energy and athleticism, and he gets stuff done. And and right now, if you ask me, what what is the thing that R.J. AJ Green? We brought up the random name AJ. You know what AJ Green does? He shoots the ball really, really well. And if you ask me, what does R.J. Hampton do really, really well? I don't have an answer for you. Uh, But we got to take another short break here and then we're going to play your guys' favorite game. We're going to bring Wes on and we're going to play some Sheeter Sham and we're going to have some fun, Omari.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
1: Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever
3: you get your podcasts. All right, we are back for our final segment. And we're going to bring our guy Wes Davenport into the fold to lead us into some Sheet or sham which I don't think we've done in a couple months here. It's been so. a while, man. Yeah, so yeah
2: it's be been a bit.
4: And it's been so long, I actually lost the note of who won last time. So do either of you remember?
2: I'm sure it was me. Like, there's very little Bryce. doubt. Was it, it really it was me? Bryce. Okay, it, let's yeah, go.
3: It was Bryce. I can't. Yeah, I remember. I, there's
2: uh, no way Omari actually. Rem- what day is it, Omari? What day is it right now? Oh, today's Sunday. I know it, what uh, is I don't the know. date? What is the date?
3: Uh, it's March. It's March fifth. It's March fifth. Okay. Yeah, no, All right. Yeah. All
2: right. Man. he's getting better. He's he's get, he's growing.
3: It's March fifth. Uh, you know, it's like this is this is the late part of the season, so I have nothing to do except check the time and weather. So, and 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 what day it is, what day of the week it is. This is what I do in March. You ask me in, in December, I don't know what's going on. This time of the year, I know what's going on.
2: It means I'll, I'll be I'll be out there in a month, Amari. One month oh, yeah. from uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before. Me and me and Randy will be out in Detroit for, for a handful of days. So
3: Market of Days, done
2: All right, Wes, what do you got for us today? Well, so great. So Amari remembered,
4: so we know the standings then. Bryce, you've got two wins. Amari, you've got three. First question, pull it up on the screen here. Uh, according to just an obscure Wikipedia fact, uh, the Pistons first ever home arena was a local high school gym in Fort Wayne. She where's, or Sham. Bryce first. Keith
2: Black Trudeau whenever you need him? Uh, I feel like I should know this because I've recorded like five hours of podcasts of Pistons history with Keith. I'm going to say Sham.
3: Well, I'm going to go see. Uh, like this, I have no idea. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about the Fort Wayne Pistons. I'm going to go see. It just, that, that, that just seems like a Fort Wayne thing. I don't know. Like I just... Like, if I had to come up, like, if I had to invent a basketball team that started off in Indiana like 80 years ago, like, that's just a nice, quaint beginning, right? This high school gym, and now they play, now they're, you know, one of the winningest NBA franchises ever. Like, it's probably where I would name Sheed.
4: It is Sheed. It was a Northside High School Gym, and only sat 3,000 people.
2: Uh, First ever go. arena. I love Omari. We 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 talk about our we talk about our reviews and how in depth they are. Look at this is why Omari appreciates it so much because look how he in depth he thinks about these sheet or sham questions. I just I, I kind of just
3: go off of, of, the, of the vibe honestly. Like, I know. I, don't know I go off of the vibe of the question. This question had a. Sheed vibe, because that's just a very... To me, that just sounds like a four-way thing. Like, this professional basketball team started off in high school I want to
2: see your hands from now on during the questions. Make sure you're not <laughs> over there on the cell phone.
3: Uh, no, my phone is... My, my phone is safely over here. All right, Uh
2: next
4: one up. I, I didn't know if this would be a gimme or not, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh Sheed or Sham Omari, the last Pistons playoff win was actually in the Eastern Conference Finals.
3: That's that's Sheed. I don't know if that that's a Sheed, because... Well, I'm not going to say why I know, I'm just going
2: <laughs> to He sounds very confident, and as many of you know, I haven't been a Pistons fan for much longer than two years. I do know the last time they were in the playoffs, they got swept, right? The Blake Griffin good season, they got swept in the first round. So I do know that, but I don't know the playoff appearance before. But Amari sounds very confident, and... I want to tie this up uh overall so I'm going to go sheet as well. It is sheet. Yep.
4: They were playing the Celtics
3: 2008. And
4: like I said, I thought that was probably an easy one. The next like few series were all sweeps, two of which to the Cavs and one to that was Milwaukee. Yep. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that, that was was the, easy, but that was the loss to the Celtics for the Celtics in the championship. And I just remember that whole offseason, everybody's like, something's got to happen, right? Like, they've got to trade Chelsea or they've got to trade. they got to break this quarter up because I think that was the fifth or sixth. That was the fifth year in a row. I'm pretty sure that they fell short. Fourth year in a row that they fell short in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then, you know, of course, they know 4 and oh 5 But, yeah, like, yeah, like it's been a very bleak period since that. So that's still pretty fresh in my mind.
4: All right, next up, this one is not Pistons related. So, and Bryce, I'll I'll be asking it to you first. So according, again, to Wikipedia, there's only been one soundtrack to achieve the title of the best-selling album of the year since the year 2000. And that soundtrack was The Greatest Showman in 2018. She don't even.
2: I I don't even understand the question. What soundtrack, aren't they all soundtracks? Like a movie
4: soundtrack, Uh, a movie soundtrack.
2: Whatever, I've never seen that movie. No what soundtrack is dope is Space Jam, the original Space Jam. Man, I love I, I love I love that soundtrack.
3: The movie was saved entirely by the soundtrack. I, I tried to watch the Space Jam a few years ago. And I I watched this movie every day when I was a kid. Like I loved it. Uh, when I watched it as an adult, I kind of realized the movie sucks, but the soundtrack is still so great. So the soundtrack carries the movie.
2: That's because you're an adult now. <laughs> it was a movie made no, for no, kids. No, so stuff... when you were a kid, of course you're going to hate it as an adult. It's like but there's stuff movie.
3: you watch as a kid that ages great. I, I re, like most Pixar movies when I was a kid have aged phenomenally. Like Toy Story was another movie I watched almost every day. And I wa- we watched it as an adult a few years ago. Actually, it was like a year or two ago. Like it was pre- pretty recent, but. Still, Toy Story is just as good today as it was like when it came out like 30 years ago. Like, that is a A plus movie, uh, still a rock solid script. I actually, enjoyed parts of it more as an adult than I did as a kid. Like, it was a different movie in some ways because there was something up in my head. So, uh, so that's I'm not going to give Stranger of the benefit of the doubt. They could have made it a good
2: movie, but it's trash. It sucks. What is the question again, Wes? Can you refresh? Because we went off the rails on this one. Yes. Yeah, so, according to Wikipedia, there has only been one movie
4: soundtrack to achieve the title of the best selling album of the year since the year two thousand. And that soundtrack was the greatest showman in twenty eighteen. Sheet or sham.
3: I'm gonna go sham because I feel like there is I just feel like that wouldn't have been a soundtrack that was like the best selling. Uh but also I've not seen that movie, so I don't know. I don't even know what was in that soundtrack. I mean, it could have been incredible. I never heard it, but <laughs> I just feel like it wouldn't be that movie. It was so okay. I'm gonna go sham.
4: My wife really loved it. All right, but it is sham. Uh there was one other movie soundtrack to do it, and that was high school
3: musical in two thousand six. That makes for sense. Like there's gotta be another movie. Like it's I'm not taking it one, but of course high school musical makes sense. All right, cool.
2: Why is it Pitch Perfect when I like that movie? That one should have won. Lots of good acapella music in that one. I also like Moana. I hate the movie, but I like some of the songs in that movie. You hate Moana? Yeah, I think it's a I did not like the movie at all. But I've only seen the, the, it once,
3: so I don't really have a dog in this fight. I saw it like four years ago, and I thought it was fine. I didn't, I didn't love it. You think? It. You think? All, do you, what's a movie you think sucks? Ooh, there are movies I think suck. Uh, a lot of movies I think suck, actually. What's a movie I've seen recently that sucks? Dora Love and Thunder is awful. Like that was one of the first movies, and I'm kind of burning out on in MCD in general. But I saw that last summer, and I was I was walked out on it. Like I was like, this movie is just truly, truly bad. I was I was shocked at how bad it was.
2: I just want to throw out here because I realized I don't know that I've thrown this out. Like, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And I was I realized this the other day that I threw it out on Twitter. And it's like, man, I don't know if people know this about me. Like, I have memorabilia, watched all the movies, read all the books, like all oh, of that. I didn't stuff. know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. my wife, my wife is very embarrassed of me. Whenever so, I, I owned a house before we got together, and I had a Harry Potter room. Like I had all the stuff set up. <laughs> when she moved, in, when That's she awesome. moved, <laughs> when she moved in, she packed it up and put it away. She's like, "I am not dating this nerd with a bunch of Harry Potter stuff in a room." And so my mom and my sister and you know my family would buy me these gifts for Christmas, and now it's all just boxed away and for nobody to see because my wife is like, "No." Absolutely not. Bryce, I feel
3: like there's a photo of you on the internet somewhere (laughs) of you wearing the wizarding cap and you have like the wand in your hand. Is there a photo? (laughs) Does this photo exist on the internet somewhere?
2: No, but you know what there is a photo of? Me as the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. What? No way. (laughs) So- Randy posts post that? She does because here's the thing. One of her sisters, so Rani is one of five. And if you guys don't know who Rani is, that's my wife. She's one of five sisters when one of the sisters got married a handful of years ago in uh, Houston and they literally had a Halloween themed wedding, like the, the, they were dressed up in Halloween characters. I, well, he was evil Knievel and stuff like that. And so we all had to dress up in our family, Ranny's family, her sisters, or mom, dad, whatever was wizard of Oz. And I mean, they went all out. I've only had my makeup done one time in my life and it was for this wedding. So I had the scarecrow outfit, I had makeup done, all of that stuff. So I'll, I'll shoot you the picture after the recording, Omari, um, as long as you promise not to put it on Twitter.
3: Cool. You know, I, I'm not going to put it. I, I feel like I get painted as like the nerd guy, and I'm not going to say <laughs> I haven't said or done things that have earned that title. But hearing that you're a huge Harry Potter guy, but I'm also a guy who like, by like granted, I would admit, I've never seen the last few Harry Potter movies because I like the books a lot more. But I reread those books a lot when I was younger, and I still am um, like, you know, like... It, it was a big part of my life growing up. So the fact that you're also a Harry Potter guy growing up warms my heart. Like that's that is something that we are aligned in right there. So there we go. I love it. Perfect.
4: Man, I'm right. finally alone here because I I never read the books. I didn't like the
2: movies. I was just out oh, wow. on Harry Potter my whole childhood. All right. Episodes over. You <laughs> all of your sheet and sham work is done. We're cutting. it. Okay. Now, nah. all right. What's the next hold one? Up. I'm up two
3: one. So we got to finish this one. I think you're up three one. Well, yeah, 3-1. Oh, okay, cool.
4: 3-1. This one's going to you first, Amari. So the last player to be drafted directly out of high school before the NBA implemented the draft age rule was selected by our Detroit Pistons. Sheed or Sham?
3: Ooh, there's like two players I have in mind, one who played for the Pistons and one who did not. And I'm trying to remember who was drafted first. I'm pretty sure that's Sheed.
2: Yeah, I was going to go Sheed as well, but for the sake of the game, I feel like I have to go Sham. So I'll go Sham, but my honest answer, I would have agreed with Amari.
4: All right, well, hang on. Both of you go Sheed, but if you can
3: name the player, you'll get the point. It is Sheed. Do you know who it is, Bryce? I think I, I know who it is. I do not. Amir Johnson. Do you know? Amir Johnson. It is Amir Johnson. There we nice. Go. Good funny. for you, yeah. Omar, man. There you deserve go. that one. There we go. Yeah, Amir Johnson is funny because there's there's a lot of young guys that this has had in that era uh it's funny because like I, I, I teach business fast well for like last one to every young guy but like I remember like when they drafted Amir Johnson and they were I remember watching on TV he was like the 57th pick or something and I don't know why I was like 12 years old watching the draft that late like I was sick but uh you know they were like yeah like probably last guy to be taken out of high school before the real changes yada yada and he would play like spot minutes here and there and be pretty good and I was like I feel like he's probably an NBA player granted I knew very little about the actual game of basketball and how it was played at that time. But I was right. Amir Johnson played like 15 years. Like, I remember he, you know, like when he left the Pistons, he uh, established himself, I think, in Toronto after and was like pretty good. And he ended up playing like a really good 15 years. So, uh, yeah, no, like Amir Johnson was like one of my favorite Pistons in a brief time. He was in Detroit. And he also has a very classic video with Rashid Wallace, you know, singing a Christmas Carol so just a fun fact of Pistons lore for those who know
2: yeah so he went to yeah you're right so he had what four years in Detroit and then six years in Toronto two in Boston two in Philly so uh, what is that? 10, 12, uh, 14 year NBA yeah. career.
3: So there you go. I'd like to be a Johnson. story in a family. I'll just be caught of at the attacker. Take
2: that, Keith Black Trudeau. Take that. No, <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Keith, Keith is our guy. So, and I know he listens to the pod. So hopefully he gets a laugh out of that.
4: Next one up. This one is St. Patrick's Day themed. So, uh, oh, Bryce, you first. Gross. Corned beef and cabbage. That's a classic St. Patrick's Day dish, but it's an American
2: invention, sheet or sham. Disgusting. And I will go sham. I'm gonna go see. Didn't no. you make me eat one of these in Detroit? Cabbage and, and beef, or maybe we were talking about a restaurant, or not in Detroit, in Denver. Maybe we were talking about it. Yeah, you were trying to take me. Is this gyro? Is that what is, this is called?
3: No, that's uh. So no, that's, it's not a gyro. Yeah, no, it's no. This isn't entirely different. I'm not. I'm not necessarily a, a cabbage. I like corn and beef. I'm not a huge cabbage guy, so I would never advocate anybody to. Like I, like I don't dislike cabbage. That's just not a like when I think of something I'm going to eat, I'm never going to be like, I want some corned beef and cabbage. Like that's just not me. But uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sheet. Uh I'm, not, I'm no St. Patty's expert. You know, in fact, I probably didn't know anything about the holiday so it's Michigan State and it was like the, the, the Super Bowl at Michigan State. I'm just going to go sheet because I know a lot of dishes that we associate with uh, other cultures were actually invented here. And that seems like one of the ones that would be like, a lot of people think like they eat orange chicken. In China, but nope, that's American. So I'm just going to go sheet.
4: You are right. It's sheet, but it's kind of a technicality because the Irish apparently eat ham, not corned beef. So it's ham and cabbage.
3: Corned beef is actually like Detroit has foods that are not like necessarily known as like local, local foods, but then you go to other cities and it's like it's actually pretty hard to find. Corned beef is a food that you find all over Detroit that you can't easily find in other cities, but in Detroit, it's more just corned beef sandwich than corned beef and cabbage i don't know where you get corned beef and cabbage but i can name like three corned beef spots that are really good
2: i'm not interested
3: <laughs> that was a really good com- that was a really good comedic pause before you said i'm not interested well i, I had to look up
2: what gyro gy- like obviously i'm all over the place with my food stuff so because i had to look up what gyro was so like i'm like trying to figure out what i was thinking and where i'm at and yeah i'm way off so can we move on to non food talk?
4: Yes. All right. Uh this is uh Michigan College's one. Bryce, you first. So the University of Michigan was the first agricultural college in the United States. Is that Sheed or Sham?
3: Sham. I'm gonna go sham too. Uh I don't actually have any reason to do this except pettiness because Michigan State's known as agricultural college. I don't know if they were the first. I just feel like we're known as a farm school. So I just I just have to deny the University of Michigan that honor. So Sham. I'm kind
4: of upset that you didn't just know that offhand, Amari. It is Sham. It was Michigan State. All right, there we go.
3: I was pretty sure. I was like, I know you that sure we are know known that. as that, but I didn't I didn't know for a fact that we were the first one. Because like you go across the Big Ten and like I almost of school Schools like kind of feel like farmy. you know, like you know, like Ohio State's in Columbus, so that doesn't feel that way. But you know, like Big Ten, like that's just like you have all these big six eleven I, I will dudes, tell you, know, you like, like,
2: this, like farm country. I don't associate the University of Michigan or Michigan State with agriculture nearly, even close to the same way I do Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska, Kansas State. Like I'm just I mean, gonna that's say fair. that like, it's not yeah. even close. Yeah, like like Michigan I said, I, like
3: I knew, yeah, I knew we were the farm school. I was just what I did like my Michigan State orientation, they like they they probably told us like yeah we were the first farm school. You know, that was like 11 years ago. So, you know, never, Believe like it just never came up a whole lot while I was at school. Like, you know, we were the first farm school. I just knew we were a, have one of the ever, original farm schools.
2: Have you ever been in a tractor? I
3: have not ever. Not, to, to, to my knowledge, I have not. Like, I, there are no tractor moments that single in my mind in my lifetime. So I'm just going to say
2: no. How close have you ever been to a cow? Uh, Pretty close. Like,
3: so, you know, like I was... Not at a uh, zoo. No, yeah, no. Like, I have been... So I did an urban uh, like farming like apprenticeship when I was in high school. Uh, actually, like between my junior and senior year, and one of the farms we went to had uh, like farm animals. So they had like chickens. I think they had like one cow, stuff like that. I've been around cows in other areas of my life, so I don't know when I you know I'd have to sit back and think of all the cow moments I've had in my 28 years. But there's been at least one. I can't remember that one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That was also like a long time ago. So.
4: We're jumping back to St. Patrick's uh, Day on this one. Right. Omari, we'll ask it to you first. So, there's a classic Disney Channel movie, St. Patrick's Day themed. They say classic sarcastically. It's called The Luck of the Irish, in which the hero defeats an evil leprechaun in a game of basketball and then banishes him to the shores of Lake Erie. Is that sheet or sham?
2: Sounds like an awesome movie.
3: It sounds like a fake movie. I've never seen that.
2: No, it's a real movie. It's sheet. It is a real movie.
3: You know what's funny? So I know there's a Futurama episode called The Luck of the Friarish, but I didn't know it was based off of a Disney movie called The Luck there's of There's a Irish. what episode? Futurama. You've you never seen Futurama? I've never watched it either. Really? No. Oh, that's crazy. All right. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say Sheed. I have no clue. It is Sheed. That, that
4: is the actual end uh, re- resolution to that plot of that movie. I couldn't pass up the chance to go basketball, Great Lakes, and St. Patrick's. <laughs> Excuse me. St. Patrick's Day in one
2: question. This is too much. It when is, is St. Patrick's Day? Like, it, when is this coming? I don't even know. Okay. It's coming up. That's <laughs> sometime up. this month? It's sometime
4: this month.
3: My wife's excited about it. Yeah. I, I never know because it's like during the season. Um, you know, so I never know when holidays are in the middle of the season because I'm probably going to be working during them. So I
2: don't even check. All right. <laughs> We got to shut it down. Wes, thank you. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We know we got a little bit away from basketball on that one. This time of year, sometimes it's fun to do that. Um, Always big shout out, Wes. Thank you. We will be back next week with Matt Babcock of Cerebro Sports, recently of Draft Digest. He's all over the place. We'll talk some more NBA draft and just this team in general, what they did and didn't do at the deadline, what they can and cannot do this offseason, which should be a really great episode. Amari, take it away, my guy.
3: All right. Thank you, everybody for listening in this week i uh, will close it out uh big thanks to uh your producer robin chan our executive producer Annette delgado and our sports editor kirkland crawford also shout out to west davenport as always we'll talk to you all
0: next week just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh